This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 130 with Lauren Pack. Show notes for this episode can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 130. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean, and I'm here to give you and other passionate, dedicated moms the tools you need to bridge the gap between motherhood and living the life of your dreams. I'm also here to help you be a little more shameless every day, because if you aren't building a life you're extraordinarily proud of, what kind of legacy are you building? So let's dive in. This episode of the Shameless Mom Academy is brought to you by Aptive. Aptive is an app that brings your workouts right into your earbuds by syncing the motivational guidance of a personal trainer with the perfect playlist to bring you an elevated on-demand audio fitness experience. Lauren Pack is on a mission to bring inclusivity and empathy to the forefront of fitness and health. She co-owns and operates Achieve Fitness in Boston with her husband, Jason, where they work daily to fulfill their mission. Lauren has been a personal trainer and a strength coach for over 10 years, and she draws on her own battle with body dysmorphic disorder to relate to and help others who may be going through similar struggles. When Lauren's not at the gym, she can be found spending her time with her dog, Diesel, playing football, or relaxing on the beach in Cape Cod. Until recently, I've only been connected to Lauren on social media, but she wrote a blog post a few months ago that really captured my attention. And I emailed her as soon as I was done and said, please, please, please come on my podcast and talk about this. Lauren wrote an article a few months ago on her blog about her experience with body dysmorphic disorder. And it really, really inspired me. As soon as I got done reading it, I immediately sent her a Facebook message and was like, we haven't met. We only know each other via Facebook, by the way. I'm like, we haven't met, but I need you to come on my podcast because I really, really want you to tell your story to my audience. So she was very kind and agreed. So she's here to talk about her experience and her story. 
with BDD. So for those of you that don't know, body dysmorphic disorder is defined as a psychological disorder in which a person becomes obsessed with the imaginary defects in their appearance. So in Lauren's case, she felt very uncomfortable in her own skin. She felt like she was grossly overweight. She was constantly just extremely critical of herself to the point that it paralyzed her. She was unable to leave the house sometimes because she felt so bad about her body and felt so uncomfortable in her own skin and felt so insecure about her body fat. She felt like she was very overweight, even though she only weighed around 130 pounds. She really, really struggled with how she saw her body when she looked in the mirror. She did not see the same thing that her peers and her family saw. They saw someone who looked great and healthy and totally fine, and she did not see that at all. And this is exactly how BDD is classified. The reason I wanted Lauren to come on the show and talk about this is because I think it's an issue that should be discussed. I think that it's important for women to hear about BDD and have a better understanding of what it means. And I think it's important because I think it's a lot more pervasive than we really know. I think that body image struggles are extremely common. Most of us struggle with this at some point in our life, and most of us struggle with it throughout our entire lives. It's very socially acceptable for women to be extremely critical of their own bodies. Men don't do that, but women do. So women are extremely critical of their own bodies. And you'll be able to see in Lauren's situation how this spiraled out of control and was really, really challenging and overwhelming and just entirely consuming for her for a period in her life. Lauren's going to talk about what her daily life with body dysmorphic disorder was like, what her routine was like each day. She's going to talk about how she was paralyzed by BDD and how her weight, even though she was never actually overweight, was so consuming to her. She's going to talk about why it's so hard for people with body dysmorphic disorder and body image struggles to talk openly about it. She's going to talk about how sharing her story was a crucial part of her healing. She's going to explain what recommendations she makes to women who are struggling. And she's also going to share why she does not give advice. And she's going to share how she wants to revolutionize the gym experience for women in marginalized populations. So this is a great conversation. I think it's a very important topic. And I think it's something that all of us can relate to on one level of it or another. So let's go ahead and dive in with Lauren Pack. Lauren Pack, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about this conversation because I think it's such a significant one. And I think that I think a lot of times people, first of all, assume that trainers don't have any body struggles, which is not <laughs> true. And I also think that this conversation isn't had on an in-depth enough level like ever. And so I'm very excited to dive in. Awesome. I'm so excited. Thank you so much. I think it's a really important issue as well and something I've been trying to spread. So. Yeah. So, and I should share with our listeners that the inspiration for this episode came, Lauren wrote a blog post and posted it to social media maybe a couple months ago. And I read it and immediately, I think like the same day that you posted it to Facebook, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to get you on the podcast (laughs) because you did such a beautiful job of sharing your story with body dysmorphic disorder in such an open way. And as I was reading through it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so relatable. And even though I think that the experience of body image struggle is the landscape is vast in terms of how we experience that. And I think there's a wide spectrum of how we experience that. But I think that you shared so openly about what you went through that it was really eye-opening to see that this is something that can really happen to anyone and I think is much more pervasive than we really know. So I appreciate you being open to sharing even more in this format. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm an open book. Good. Yay. Okay. (laughs) So let's go ahead and dive in and tell us a little bit about your personal and professional life beyond your bio. What are you most excited about right now? 
Okay, well, personal life, I got married seven months ago, which is really exciting. <laughs> um, you and your husband are the cutest. Like, you, the way you gush on him on Facebook, I'm like, oh, I'm not a very good wife. <laughs> I need to gush more about my husband. <laughs> oh, I mean, we're newlyweds, you know, like we still have that thing going. So but <laughs> yeah, we've actually been together. We opened a gym together five years ago, but we weren't married yet against my mom's best uh, attempts at <laughs> making that happen before we opened a business together. But we finally finally tied the knot seven months ago. So that's been really fun. Nice. And professionally right now, so like I said, we own a gym and we're still working on just, you know, really hard on growing the gym and growing our staff. But we also are really focused right now on creating a more inclusive and accepting space in the fitness industry. We feel like there is still this kind of feeling in the fitness industry that you have to look a certain way or you have to be a certain way. And we're kind of getting to the point where we feel like it's our responsibility at this point to eliminate that. (laughs) And so that's our bigger, greater mission. And we're trying to make sure that everyone feels really welcome and included in the fitness space. I love that. And I think that I follow a lot of women on social media who are in the fitness industry who are really moving in that direction. And I'm so appreciative of that because I know I get calls all the time from people who are like, maybe I should like work out by myself for three months before I join your gym. I'm like, no, 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 no. (laughs) So I totally agree that there is a lot of intimidation and a lot of people feeling excluded from gym life. And I think people don't understand exactly how inclusive it can be. And I think because it's historically been a male-dominated industry, I think it's easy to assume that it's not going to be super female-friendly when you walk into a new gym experience. Yeah, absolutely. So we're trying to one step at a time. And we have a bunch of really strong female coaches, which I think kind of sets the tone for that upfront. But nice. we're trying to even, you know, beyond that, you know, non-gendered bathrooms and just trying to do as many things as we can to possible to make people feel like, oh, no matter who I am, no matter what my background is, I can feel safe here. So. I love that. I love it. So I'm in Seattle, which is very progressive city. And so, I mean, everything you just said, I'm like, yes, yes. Like those are all the <laughs> things that my people are looking for and that my gym yeah. members are looking for. So it's really cool that you're doing that as well. So your personal life and your professional life are really melded then because you're in business with your husband. Yes. Is there a line like when you get home, are you done with work stuff or is it just kind of the two are melded together? It's really funny. That was like our first piece of business advice was to separate business and relationship and personal life. And we tried that for like, you know, 10 minutes and (laughs) (laughs) it just doesn't work for us because we both are actually equally as passionate about what we do. So it doesn't feel like my, it drives my mom crazy because she's like, you never aren't working. And to me, it's different because it's not like we're sitting at a nine to five desk job and, you know, never turning off, but we just love what we do so much. And we put an equal amount of effort into it. And I think that really makes a difference. So I love that. Well, I think that's such a great example of something that I talk about a lot on the podcast is like following your passion. If you're doing something you're really passionate about, it's not going to feel like work and you're not going to be able to turn it off because you will be excited about it when you're at home (laughs) and you will be excited about it when you're out in the park or wherever, like it becomes something that's really ingrained in all areas of your life. Yeah, absolutely. Like turning it off even sounds like a weird statement because I'm like, I don't want to. Like it would be punishment. (laughs) Yeah. It's not like something that I feel like is a burden. It's just exciting for us. So, Oh, that's so cool. So let's go ahead and talk a little bit about this article that you wrote. So your article was about your experience with body dysmorphic disorder and depression. Can you tell us what prompted you to share these really personal details of your past and make your story known? Yeah, absolutely. I think that one of the hardest things for me during that time in my life was feeling really alone. And so I felt like I just didn't have anyone or nobody really understood 
what I was going through. People's response to me when I would vocalize what I was going through was that I was being crazy or that I wasn't fat or, you know, they were always just trying to almost diminish how I was feeling. And so I just wanted to write something that told people that might be going through it that they are not crazy. (laughs) They're not alone. That was my main motivation for it. So take us back to kind of where you were at and what was going on and starting at the beginning and maybe where you started with the article that you had gone into the doctor and being really clear with everyone who is not seeing you right now or hasn't seen you in the past, you were not someone like no one on the street would look at you and be like, wow, she needs to lose some weight. Like you were already a very reasonable size and a very reasonably healthy weight, but you were plagued by how you felt in your own skin. So kind of take us back to what life was like at that time. Yeah. So I think that when it was at its worst, it was during college. And so what I would do basically my day would be wake up and immediately go to the mirror, lift up my shirt and like confirm basically that I was still fat in my mind. Wow. You know, you grab that like love handles, your mm-hmm. stomach, whatever you call it, and tell myself I was disgusting. I mean, it, that was my morning ritual. I know that you asked that in your speed round. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Thank God that's not my morning ritual. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Yeah, like the most disempowering way to start your day. Exactly. But it also speaks to how strong that conversation is in your head that that's how you would opt to start your day every day. Exactly, exactly. So that was step one. Step two is trying to get dressed, which was a nightmare. So putting on and taking off outfit after outfit after outfit, and then obviously always settling on something that was black and baggy and I could hide under. So that was the getting dressed process. And then basically I would spend the rest of the day you know, my internal monologue was constantly that people were looking at me, that people were judging me based on if I was eating or if I wasn't working out, if I wasn't being active, then I wasn't proving that I wasn't as fat as I thought I was. Right. So I was just in this constant fear of everybody judging me. And eating wise, I was counting calories to the grain of salt in my food. And I went to the gym every day. And I would go to the gym and pretty much only use machines that told me how many calories I burned because I needed that data. Like I needed to see burn more calories than I ate. The input output data, which is really, that's pretty common in eating disorders as well, like where it becomes this mathematical equation. Yeah, exactly. And so I was like, okay, I recorded everything I ate and I usually worked out like around lunch. So I would record everything I ate for breakfast and lunch and I would go to the gym. And then of course there was a scale at the gym. So I'd weigh myself, you know before, after, in the middle, and cry every time I weighed myself. Oh my gosh. No matter what the number said, you know, it was just never what I wanted it to say. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so the workouts were just like cardio-based, trying to see how many calories I could burn. And then by dinner, I was starving because I attempted to burn off all of my calories. (laughs) So I would try to eat alone because I was so hungry, I wanted to eat a lot. But Mm -hmm. if I was with other people, like, I would still restrict myself because I didn't want to have other people, again, like I said, judging me. Right. That was a strange, really big fear for me was that everybody was looking at what I was doing and judging it. Yeah. And then at night, even after dinner, if I had dinner alone or with other people at night when everyone was asleep, I would consider it body dysmorphic disorder, but also certainly had some form of an eating disorder as well. Yeah, like different characteristics of it. Well, I think that there's like criteria to meet like clinical eating disorder definitions. But Mm -hmm. I think that there's also you can have a lot of disordered eating habits. And I would say that that and when it's an obsession, like it is, I would say that that like, 
classifies as an eating disorder as well, even though you might be not as medically compromised mm-hmm. as someone who has, you know, like lost 25% of their weight in the last few months and right. like things like that, where you have to, you know, for the clinical definition, you're having to fit these certain criteria. But when you have that obsession and you have a lot of secret behaviors and those kinds of things, I mean, that there's definitely a lot of gray area in terms of where those definitions and diagnoses kind of begin and end. And I can definitely see in what you're saying that you were in some of those things. Yeah, absolutely. I even actually remember in high school doing that, like I had some insomnia in high school and I remember I would go downstairs and like my parents would be asleep and I would like eat ice cream and pizza bites. I would eat every, like at night was when I like did that stuff in, in secret and I wouldn't tell anyone. And at that point I didn't even have any clinically diagnosed body dysmorphic disorder and I didn't even have any personal like feelings about hating my body at that point, but I definitely had those rituals that were starting to build. So it's interesting to think about. Yeah, that is interesting to think of where things started. And I've actually in working with therapists over the years, they'll ask like, I actually went to a sleep therapist for insomnia, which I've had like my whole life. And she asked me, she's like, well, how long have you had problems with this? And I was like, well, for kind of a while now. And then she's like, when's the first time you remember having a hard time sleeping? And I was like, when I was eight. (laughs) And so I was like, Oh my gosh, I've been in insomniac since I was eight. So it's interesting (laughs) to think back. Some of these things start really, really young and very subconsciously. And so you realize, yeah, right. It's really interesting to see like where some of those patterns just become like where the seeds can be planted and you don't even see it until way later. Mm. So at this time, again, like I said earlier, no one would have walked down the street and been like, wow, I could see why she might be on a diet. If I remember correctly from the article, you weighed 130 pounds or so. Yeah, just about. I mean, I fluctuated between 130 and 140, but never more than that. So. Okay. So very like normal, healthy weight. Like most of the people listening are like, wow, I'd really love to weigh between 130 right? and 140. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really interesting that when you were having this tremendous struggle and battle inside of your body and inside of your brain, that anyone walking down the street towards you would have been like, you're just totally normal. Like it's such a hidden thing. And we assume that people don't battle this when they have very kind of average weights or average body shapes and sizes. Yeah, I think, I mean, not, I struggled with that too, because I think there's a misconception about people who do suffer with BDD and that it's, it's just people who are extremely vain and care way too much about what they look like. And especially if you're a thinner person, like, I would feel like I was offending people by being so self-conscious because I wasn't trying to tell anyone else that who was bigger than me, (laughs) you know, if I was fat, then what should they think? And I worried about that constantly. Yeah. So that was a big struggle for me too. And actually held me back from vocalizing a lot of my feelings because I didn't want to upset anyone else. But yeah, I mean, the actual disorder goes just so far beyond being unhappy with your appearance. I think it is so pervasive and it causes such emotional distress and then leads for me in my case led to depression. And so it just kind of snowballs. Yeah. Tell us how that led into depression for you and what your life was like as those two things met. Yeah. So, well, what's really funny is that I don't actually think I knew that I was clinically diagnosed with depression. I, or at least if I knew, I completely blocked it out of my memory. Because you show in the blog post, you have this picture of your medical record. Yeah. And that's where it says there's a diagnosis for depression. And so you did not know that you had been diagnosed that when the doctor put that in there. They didn't tell you. I don't know. I, they might have told me. If they told me, I definitely decided not to hear it. Interesting. I, they told me, but I was looking for my medical records to bring up the body dysmorphic disorder diagnosis because I knew that was there. And then when I found that one, I was like, that can't be right. (laughs) Like, that can't be right. That's not true. And then when I started to think about it, I mean, 
looking into all of the definitions of somebody who is going through depression, like I was isolating myself. And I'm a huge extrovert. I love being around people. That's where I get my energy. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't go out with my friends because I was afraid to be seen. I was struggling a lot more, I think, than I even realized with mm-hmm. depression. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't sleeping at night, but then I was sleeping during the day. So yeah. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily, It's very digestible, and the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Urtube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explained. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up, and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where, as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever, and your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you, and you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. Interesting. That's really interesting. And again, it's like that hindsight where you're like, oh, I didn't know that I had that. (laughs) And then you look back in it. Oh, yeah, no, I did. (laughs) Wow. So you said you had a hard time talking to other people about it. So was it something that you primarily kept to yourself? I mean, I definitely talked to my mom, like, bless her heart. (laughs) She took the biggest brunt of it all, Mm -hmm. because I felt safe talking to her. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, my friends knew that I was going through stuff. They definitely knew that I like wasn't happy. But I don't think anybody really knew fully what was going on. Right. I think you brought up such a good point of having some awareness that would make other people uncomfortable and maybe feel like you were placing judgment on them if you were to talk openly about your insecurities with your body because Mm -hmm. it would suggest, and I've had this with clients, I've actually seen this many times with clients, with women who are like, 
you know, I've had women who weigh like 106 pounds who are like, as soon as they lose like five more pounds and they'll say this in like a group setting. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like the rest of the group right now is they don't know how to handle that. Like because of the work that I do, I can understand that that is coming from this person's misconception of themselves. But the rest of the group gets really uncomfortable because they're like, if this person who weighs like 106 pounds needs to lose five pounds, what do they think about me when I weigh 206 pounds? Exactly. exactly. I think it's uncomfortable for the person who's suffering and then it's uncomfortable for the people around them because there's so much misunderstanding in there. So I could really see why it would be a very difficult thing to talk about when you're in the middle of it. But I think it also brings up the point that women's insecurities like I have found that women who weigh 110 pounds have the same insecurities as women who weigh 210 pounds and women who weigh 310 pounds. And I could literally like put three women in a room of those three weights and ask them to list everything they're insecure about with their bodies. And they would say the same things because we're culturally trained to hate certain parts of our body. So the person who weighs 110 pounds hates her stomach as much as the person who weighs 310 pounds. So it's really interesting how we've just trained ourselves that like no matter what your weight is, it's not right, it's not good enough, and you should always be struggling to get smaller. And I think that when you have those messages around you all the time, it's easy for someone who maybe is susceptible to depression or susceptible to like insomnia or anxiety or any of those things that can trigger an eating disorder or body dysmorphia because your mind is just working differently than someone who has a different mindset or maybe has less propensity towards some of those mental health struggles. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely still a point where I struggle because it actually talking about it openly was one of the ways that I healed from it. Mm -hmm. But I do still think that there's this fine line of, I don't know, and I don't know where it is of being open without making anyone else feel, yeah, you know, bad about themselves. And so yeah, it's definitely really tough. And I think that just getting the word out (laughs) that like you were just saying that we all have these insecurities. And like, I think that when you think about losing weight, or at least for me in that time, I was thinking about the only reason I wanted to lose weight was because I thought that that would make me not insecure. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the understanding has to be with everyone, no matter what size they are, that you need to be not insecure first <laughs> right, before right. You lose, if you lose weight. You know, that's maybe a byproduct, but yeah. the insecurity is not going to go away because you lose 20 pounds or 100 pounds. <laughs> right. I actually just had this conversation last night. So at my gym, we kicked off a transformation program and most people sign up. I call it a transformation program. Most people sign up for weight loss. And I try to be really clear, like this is a transformation program. We are working on mindset because mindset is the most important piece of this. If you Mm -hmm. lose weight during this program, that's great. You probably will lose weight. But I also like my goal is always that you get your head in a better place and a more healthy place. Because when women come in for weight loss, well, the first thing they do is like apologize as they get on the scale and Mm -hmm. like, and they immediately feel horrible. Like it can never be a neutral thing. So we actually had like a big conversation about this last night where I was like, when you get on the scale for your assessments over the weekend, you're just getting on the scale. Like it's not a judgment thing. We're just looking at a number and collecting data. It's not a time and a place for you to feel guilty. I mean, these things might happen and that's, you know, I don't want to dismiss anyone's feelings, but I think that we're just trained that like we should feel guilty when we see the scale and we should apologize for it and all these things. And so I was like, this is just data collection. Like we're going to see a number. I'm going to write it down. It's like not a big deal at all. You can be extremely like passive about the whole thing. It doesn't need to be a big thing, but it's easy for us to make it a big thing. And it's easy for us to like go into this big place of judgment. I also think that 
we have to be really careful when we talk about weight loss and especially in the fitness industry, the way we promote weight loss, that when we start off a program like this, I'm really clear with my members that like, you are not going to be a better person at the end of this. You're already an awesome person. You're already perfect and amazing. And like, no one's going to love you more at the end of this program than they do right now. So be really clear with yourself that like, you already are as awesome as you need to be. And you aren't here because you're a bad person or you're weak or you have no willpower or any of those things. We're just working on like mindset and implementing some healthy habits. And again, Absolutely. keeping that really neutral. And that is I like shocking to people. Yeah, it is. In my gym, we ran New Year Challenge, New Year, or we called it a not your average weight loss challenge. Nice. But it wasn't even, and then under line or whatever was not even a weight loss challenge. And it was all about building habits and it was mindset and recovery strategies and other things besides just working out more and eating less because that's the only people hear that information constantly. They're bombarded with it, but nobody hears how to change your mindset about fitness and health. And nobody hears information that's just general health information, which is so frustrating because that's what people need the most. And so, yeah, I, I love that you guys do that. We actually even stopped doing like we actually give people the option of doing an initial weigh-in. Of the assessments. I did that with my last program too. I made it optional, which was really yeah. interesting. It is interesting. And I see the people who don't do it and feel this huge sense of relief. Yeah. And that would have been me. I would have been like, thank God. Like, really? I don't have to get on the scale? Are you right. serious? Right. Like, so I can see that feeling of emotion when it's a lot, you're allowed to not do that. Right. So we've definitely added that as, but then again, there are people who are more data oriented yeah. and like for without emotion, they don't have an emotional attachment to it and they just want to know. Right. And so I'm not going to take the scale away from them, but definitely going to leave it as an optional thing. I love that. Yeah. That's really important. I think tell us how you started to recover from body dysmorphic disorder and what that looked like. Sure. Yeah. So while I did go to therapy, unfortunately for me, it didn't, help me. But I also think that it was because I was still using it. Basically, I was using therapy on like a surface level. (laughs) I wasn't actually sharing my real feelings. I was like, pretending that I was getting better. Like every time I went in, I'd be like, Oh, yeah, I feel so much better. (laughs) And like, it wasn't true. And I don't know, I guess I just wasn't allowing myself to really open up. Are you a people pleaser by chance? Oh, yes. (laughs) So I've had this experience. Tell me if you can relate. (laughs) I went to therapy and I actually quit going because I was like, I don't want to make the therapist feel bad. So I am just going to make her feel like she's doing a really good job, but I feel like I'm not really getting what I need out of this anymore. (laughs) Oh my God. That's exactly what I'm doing. And then she asked me, she's like, when I went to leave, she's like, I don't really understand why you're leaving. And I was like, well, I don't want to make her feel bad. So I like made it all about me and it was just super weird. And then I got done and I was like, this is like a glaring example of why I need to not be such a people pleaser. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, that is so, so perfect and exactly what I was doing. I was telling her that she was like doing a good job. <laughs> You're totally healing me even though I'm 100% still struggling. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. That sounds so accurate. That is really funny. That's hilarious. Um, so therapy didn't work, so then what? Therapy didn't that? work. So for me it, it was like I kind of just said earlier it was actually starting to allow myself to talk to more people about it more and just be more open about it. And also during this time, I actually was a trainer. And so I was working with other people, you know, I was helping other people get healthier, get fitter, lose weight, even as I was going through these struggles. And I would hear a lot of the stuff that they were saying. And it was the same things that I was saying to myself. It was my own negative self-talk coming out in them. And my mission was to make it so that 
less people were feeling this way. And to do that, I started just sharing my story. And I think that sharing my story is actually what helped me heal. Because I realized that like by talking it out and really explaining it, I was feeling the sense of relief every time I did it and feeling like I was helping other people. And it started to go away. My husband also was super instrumental in this as well. I mean, we were in a relationship at the time. Having to constantly bring me down from these emotional swings was really tough for him. And mm-hmm. But he wouldn't let me get away with saying, like, oh, no, I'm fine. You know, mm-hmm. I don't need to talk about it. He wouldn't let me get away with that. So he was always pushing me to talk it out and in a very non-judgmental way, just trying to get the information out. Mm-hmm. And that was just really helpful. So... Hey mamas, just wanted to pop in and tell you about Aptiv, our sponsor for this episode. So you've all heard me talk about Aptiv. Aptiv is an app where a personal trainer joins you in your earbuds while you work out. It's a fantastic way to get in your workouts and have some motivation and support and guidance as you're getting in your workouts, whether you're doing cardio or weight training or maybe even just some yoga and restorative movement. What I love about Aptiv is in addition to the app, they have such a supportive community. So they have a Facebook group where they're constantly posting new content and new ideas and new inspiration, maybe new partnerships that they're working on to give their members the most support and help people get the results that they want. They also have a newsletter where they're sending out regularly new recipes. And the other day they sent out a whole bunch of smoothie recipes. They're sending out other content about motivation and inspiration. They're telling you how to get the best results and the best experiences out of your workout. So everything they do comes from such a giving place. They are really wanting to support you in your workout goals and make sure that you have all the tools that you need to really make sure you are doing the right things to hit the goals you actually want to hit. So you're not wasting your time in your workouts. So to learn more about Active, go over to Active.com, that's A-A-P-T-I-V, and use the code SMA30 to get a free 30-day trial. Again, that is Aptiv.com, A-A-P-T-I-V, and use the code SMA30 to get your free 30-day trial and get started with Aptiv today. That's great. I totally agree that sharing your stories, I've talked about this in other episodes, that sharing the things, like talking about your biggest insecurities out loud makes them not be your biggest insecurities anymore. And you have to be careful in your environment, you know, I know you were being so conscious of people around you and how that would impact them. But I think that when you start talking about things and saying them out loud, like people can be supportive and be your cheerleader and they can be helpful. And also it makes people just have a better understanding of what you're going through. I just think there's kind of this comprehensive impact of the story has on your relationship with whoever you choose to share it with. That's Mm -hmm. really important for like the sharer and the sharee. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like people would say like, oh my gosh, totally relate to that and thank you. And they would thank me for sharing it. And I was expecting that people would be giving me the same feedback that I was getting in college when everybody was just like, you're annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about how you're fat when you're not. Right. But I think because I allowed myself to share the real stuff. Right. That wasn't like what was actually going on in my head. It was that I can't live in this body. Like I feel so uncomfortable. I feel terrified to go out and like sharing those feelings. Those were the real feelings. And people then were like, oh, okay. Everybody's felt that in some capacity. And then they started to feel like they could share more and that they could open up more. And it just became this kind of symbiotic relationship with my readers and with my clients and everything like that. So I think that when trainers or any profession, when you have similar insecurities to the people that you're serving, it opens the door for really, really powerful dialogue. Because often we see people who are mentors as like 
that they're invincible. And so to yeah. see that vulnerability, I think is really, really powerful. And I think you also oftentimes you have to be like a little bit outside of it. So, you know, when you were like in your darkest place, you probably couldn't share in a way that would be therapeutic for you or mm-hmm. other people. But when you start to get a little bit outside of it, you can share in a little bit different way. And I think that that can be so helpful for you. But I think it also can be really helpful for the people that you're sharing with. And they can, like you said, have a really different insight to what was going on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you are around women all day long, and I'm sure many of them struggle with body image. I mean, you've already mentioned that a little bit. What kinds of behaviors, habits, and mindsets do you see women struggling with the most? Well, I guess some of the hardest habits to break would be like constantly weighing ourselves and constantly assessing our progress solely on what our bodies look like. That's one of the habits that I see women doing often still that I'm trying to help them break out of because, you know, it's not productive when you're assessing your self-worth based on simply a number on the scale. Your your gravitational pull to the earth, I think, is <laughs> what officially your body right. weight is. Right. And I know I used to do this and I've seen other women do it in the gym, which really like pulls on my heartstrings when you do something really great in the gym, like you hit a PR on your squat and you're so excited and you feel awesome in that moment. And then you go over and weigh yourself like right after. And I used to do that all the time and I've seen other women do it too. And they look at the number and then tears well up in their eyes and it completely diminishes that accomplishment that they just had. Right, right. And that kills me. It totally kills me. And so I tried, we just recently moved our scale so that it's not really accessible in the gym area. Nice. That was a recommendation by actually a friend, Krista Doran, who owns Tough Girl Fitness in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. You've heard of her. She's- I have not heard of her, but I love that idea. <laughs> yeah. So we just made it a little less accessible so that yeah. in that moment, you don't go and see it and right. say like, I should check on my weight too. While I'm on this high, right. maybe that number will reflect what, how I'm feeling and it never does. Then you just diminish everything you just accomplished. So that behavior, I think I'm trying really hard to come up with ways to get that to stop and removing the scale was one of them. Yeah, that's great. I think that celebrating wins is something that women, I just think culturally we all struggle with it. Like it's very socially acceptable for us to beat ourselves up. It's socially acceptable for us to stand in front of the mirror and pinch our body fat and be like, oh, this is gross and I need to get rid of this. But there's not like cultural constructs around like celebrating like why I am an awesome person today. (laughs) And so so I think you really have to train yourself to do that. And this is something I talk about constantly. I've actually implemented it in some of my programs in the past where every day you like have to share a win or post a win to our Facebook, a private Facebook group. And I've done this and I've been doing this myself just personally where I write down wins every day. Because you don't understand your own power if you're not tracking the positive stuff. Like if you're only focusing on your insecurities and the things you feel most vulnerable about or the things that you're struggling with, you don't leave any room for celebrating the things that are really positive. And when you have space for celebrating those positive things, it opens the door for more positive things to happen because you build momentum around the positive stuff and you build more momentum around the things that make you feel good versus being stuck on the things that keep you feeling (laughs) horrible. Absolutely. Actually, one of my coaches, Sarah Polacco, she's our head coach at Achieve, and she had this great talk. She suffered from anxiety, and she had this great talk to our staff and then to our members, actually, too, where she talked about one of the things that worked for her. And like, even though her issue was separate from mine, I found it so relatable and that would have a negative thought. And so it might be like, in my case, the negative thought would have been like, you're so gross, right? Like looking in the mirror and saying you're disgusting. Instead of people always say to like, say the opposite or like, turn it around and make it positive. And you think like, I have to look at myself in the mirror and say, you're beautiful. (laughs) Like, I'm not gonna believe it. Right. I don't believe it. And so she said, start with things that are real Mm -hmm. or true. 
So something that's true can be, this is what I look like today, right? And that's it. And then at least it's not a negative. So it's not the best, (laughs) you know? But you're neutralizing it. Eventually you'll get beyond that. And eventually you'll start to say, like, I'm really strong. Mm -hmm. And then you'll start to say, like, I actually like my thighs. And then you'll start to actually come up with things that sound even better and that start to build you up. But to try to do that immediately is not going to feel real to you. And so to start by just doing really basic, simple truths about what's going on and then build those into more positives was one of the best pieces of advice I had actually heard. Oh, that's really good. And again, it goes back to that idea of just neutralizing things. Like instead of being like, oh, I'm so gross today. This is how I look today. It's like a totally different statement. It's just different. But yeah. It's a truth first, and it's also very neutral. So it's not like standing there judging yourself positive or negative. Because Mm -hmm. if you're someone who struggles with body image, coming up with the positive things can be really, really challenging. And like you said, you might not believe them when you say them. Unless you're like, I'm having a really good hair day. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I really love that. I'm neutralizing that conversation. And I talk about that with food a lot where people will say like, this makes my skin crawl. And people are like, well, I was really good today. So I'm going to like splurge tonight. Or I was really bad this weekend, like good and bad. And because I think what happens when we do that is that we base our whole entire day on something that we ate, which is ridiculous. And then that becomes very quickly and easily associated with our self value. So when you say like, I was really good today, then you're like, oh, I'm a good person. Or I was really bad today, ate the donut. So I'm a bad person. And so again, neutralizing like, hey, I ate a donut today. Like, that's all it is. It's, you are not good or bad for eating the donut. Yeah. Just like when you eat the broccoli, you're also not good or bad. You just ate the broccoli. <laughs> yeah, that is so great. I love that so much. That's awesome. It takes people a while because again, most of these habits are ingrained for years and years and years. So these kinds of conversations and changing the way that they happen in our heads takes a long time. Like it's not a four week thing or even in many cases, it's not a, you know, six month thing. It's like just constant practice in the way that you talk to yourself and catching yourself before you slip into like little tiny pitfalls of mindset like mindset sucks, I guess. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, it's really true. Right. It takes, yeah, it takes a long time. One of the other things that I see people do a lot that I like really want to address and see changes is, especially in women, is justifying their behaviors. So kind of like what you were just yes. saying, but also just trying to justify why they ate that donut. Like that's mm-hmm. what I've seen a lot is they're like, I ate this donut, but I like, I'm going to be going for a long run later or mm-hmm. like having to justify why they ate something or having to justify why they didn't work out. And when they shouldn't, they shouldn't have to, you shouldn't have to justify anything. You did it because you wanted to, or you did it because it made you feel good. But yeah, to stop doing that, I think would be really important. And was something that was really important for me in healing was to say like, this is something that I did, period. Yeah. Move on. Right. Totally. I actually noticed that a lot when I'm eating with groups of women, how like just sitting at a table with women and noticing how everyone orders their food. And there is a lot of justification. And it's like, nobody cares. Like, people like, oh, I stopped my diet yesterday. Right. So So I can totally go all out today. Or I'm going to be bad tonight. Or like, I ran six miles and I hardly ate anything all day today. Like, I will not like you, love you, support you any more or any less if you eat a salad at dinner or a huge plate of spaghetti. And I don't care if you ran six miles this morning or if you slept all day. Like, it's not wrapped up in your self-worth. But when you can tell someone who's really struggles with their self-worth when they make announcements about these justifications. And it's like very prevalent. I see it 
pretty much any time I sit at a table with women eating, there's yeah. a couple different comments made. And they're always, they're made very like lightheartedly and it's very casual. So it's not like, I don't generally feel like I'm, like someone's putting their demons out on the table. But it's right. again, it's just this culturally ingrained thing that it's like very socially acceptable for us to do this. And dudes don't do this. Like, does your husband <laughs> justify his food when he sits no, down never. <laughs> this is what I was like, talking about. celebrates when he orders a pizza. He's like, yeah. Totally. Like he's not, well, you know, I burned a lot of calories earlier and I haven't had many carbs today. So I'm going to go ahead and eat the whole pizza. He's just like, I'm just going to eat the pizza. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing that the difference there is really, really. (laughs) Women are trained to justify their caloric intake. Dudes Mm -hmm. are not trained to do that. No. Yeah. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listener can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. So tell us how your experience with body dysmorphic disorder has made you a better trainer. I definitely think it allows me to relate better to my clients and just people who are struggling either specifically with body dysmorphia or just other body image disorders, just sort of understanding that 
usually when somebody confides in you, they just want to feel heard. Right. And my understanding of that, because that's what I realized I needed was to feel heard, not just talking to a therapist, but just to feel like somebody was with me in this moment and hearing me and understanding. I think I've learned to listen better, listen more and give less advice (laughs) because advice is an interesting, as a coach, you want to give advice. You think that that's your job. But when I was really struggling, I took advice as almost like validation that I should feel this way about myself. Like if someone's giving you advice, then they're like, actually, you do need to lose some weight. So let me tell you how. (laughs) Yes, right. But the thing is, it was so crazy. I mean, I would fish for that. Like I would fish for them to get there. You know, people would be like, you you don't need to, you don't need to lose weight, you don't need to. And I would continue to like bring it up to the point where they'd be like, well, have you tried the paleo diet? And then you're like, oh, they just called me fat. (laughs) You do think I'm fat, right? Right. And so I know that behavior. And so Mm -hmm. I can recognize that in other people. And I know when to not give advice and when to just listen and then to ask questions. Do you know who Elizabeth D'Alto is? No, I don't think so. She she used to be a personal trainer. She used to be in the fitness industry. So the Wild Soul Movement is one of her spaces online. She's online. She helps women online. She's awesome in the self-help space for women and empowering women. But she has been talking on Facebook recently about how unsolicited advice is disgusting. And it's like, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, like, it felt so harsh to me. And I was like, but we're just trying to be helpful. Like, in addition to being a people pleaser, like you want to give advice because you want to be that helper, right? And mm-hmm. then and then when she called it disgusting, I was like, but we're just trying to be nice people and like be helpers and whatever. But it's like, it's true. You don't know sometimes the damage that you're doing and giving unsolicited advice. And mm-hmm. also, again, like, if you don't know what people are digging for. And I think in professional spaces, there can be a place for giving advice for sure. But unsolicited advice is like not often what people are looking for. People are looking to be heard and you can hear people without trying to fix them. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was getting at is that that's what I have been able to bring to the table as a coach, having gone through that myself. So yeah, it's great. What is your body image like today? It's fantastic, actually. Nice. I feel really good. And I can truly say that. Like I went through a period of time where I think I said that before I felt it. Yeah. (laughs) But I think one of the best examples actually was, so I did a powerlifting meet a couple weeks ago and which was awesome. And you had to weigh yourself because you had to know what weight class you're going to be in. And I really don't weigh myself anymore, but I also don't, when I had to do it, I had no feelings. I was like, Oh, this is my weight class. And I was like, Ooh, cool. That's new. (laughs) Yeah. That was great. And then afterwards, I think even more impactful or gave me more of a realization of how far I've come is I did the meet and I cut like three pounds for the meet to be in the weight class. Mm -hmm. And then I went and visited some friends in Philly and I hadn't seen them in a long time. We had a super indulgent weekend of drinking and eating and I enjoyed every moment of it. (laughs) And when I came back, I was helping one of my coaches. She's learning our intake process, like how to welcome a new member in. And so she asked the question, like, would you like to take your weight as a point of reference? And I was like, yeah, sure. Cause I wanted to give her that experience of if somebody says yes. And <laughs> I stepped on the scale and I was five pounds heavier than I was when I weighed in for my meet a week ago. Yeah. And I started laughing, like cracking up. <laughs> oh my God, it's so funny. Like I totally was like, I was expecting it, but I was able to just joke about it and like right. really feel fine. And yeah. that was really cool because nice. any fluctuation, even a half a pound in oh, the past, a big deal. sent me into a crazy spiral. So yeah, I guess that's kind of my best 
you know, realization of how far I have, nice. I have come. That's awesome. That's so great. What do you recommend to women who are struggling with body image? If they approach you or if you see something, how do you reach out to women? What's your advice now that we've talked about how bad advice is? Yeah, I know, right? It's hard. That is really hard. And so, I mean, if I think it's something really serious, I do still recommend seeing a professional first and foremost. I mean, there are people who are out there. And I think the therapist that I went to see was a general therapist. And I think that there are people probably more qualified in the area that I was struggling with. Right. So I recommend going to a doctor and kind of like figuring out, are you actually going to be diagnosed with something like, or do you have something that's more medically going on than just body image issues? Cause I feel like that term gets thrown around a lot. Mm-hmm. Like I have body image issues and like, I don't know anyone who does it. Right. Right. <laughs> like I don't know anyone who doesn't want to change their appearance a little bit. And so if I recognize that it's gone a little beyond that, I will recommend seeing a professional. But then in terms of just kind of generally starting to work on things, that practice that I was just telling you that my coach Sarah brought up, I recommend that to everyone now. Nice. I also recommend to write in a gratitude journal. I started doing that and it just takes your mind for a few minutes, even a day, it takes your mind off of what you hate. Mm-hmm. So just a journal that even right before bed so that you're starting to, and it can be, I'm grateful for, you know, this bed. <laughs> like it doesn't yeah. have to be anything crazy, right? but just starting to write things that you're grateful for. And then having people that you can confide in and having people that you can talk to who won't judge you. And it's hard to find that sometimes. And so sometimes that will be a therapist, but oftentimes it will be, you know, a parent, a friend, a sibling, a, a, a spouse, and being really open with that person as opposed to telling them your surface feelings. Yeah, I agree. I actually have had a couple interesting conversations with my husband. I did a podcast episode. It's been a lot of months ago now, but a mm-hmm. while ago about not losing all my baby weight. And mm-hmm. it's something that was like, this conversation I started having with people, well, I started having it like through the podcast. And then through that, like other people reached out to me about it. And then I was like, I haven't even really talked to my husband about this. Like, And we had a really <laughs> interesting conversation about it. It was really good. But I think sometimes people who are really close to us, it's almost... It's like sometimes easier to leave a little barrier up. Yeah. But we're like, those are the people who will be the most accepting and the most like loving and also the people who will set you free. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. And especially if you preface it with like, I really need you to hear me out right now. Like I'm really struggling. I really need you to just hear me out. Right. You know, like to preface it with like, I'm about to get really real with you Mm -hmm. (laughs) and to not hold back because I think that we hold back so much, especially with someone who struggles with, any kind of body dysmorphia, like you're worried, you're somebody who probably is worried about how other people see you. Right. And so sharing and being vulnerable is very scary. Yes. And that's something that you also have a fear around that. So just saying like, I'm going to be really vulnerable with you right now. And I really need your full attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think those conversations are so powerful. Yeah. I think being seen is a huge fear for people who struggle with body image or just any self-esteem, self-image kinds of things. Like being seen is a really scary thing. Mm -hmm. And especially like you say, like you're a huge extrovert. So it's probably really easy for you to just be like really vivacious and bubbly. And that (laughs) is like very safe. (laughs) So to be like, to be a little bit more like soft and (laughs) and open is probably, and also you're in a position, I think with your work too, 
and I'm in this position as well, where you're seen as a strong leader. And so if the expectation is that if you're perceived as a strong leader, and then you live up to that standard, and you hold yourself to that standard, it also can feel really uncomfortable to go in the opposite direction of that with the people closest to you and be like, I know I'm a strong leader. But also like, I'm a really weak, like delicate flower right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like, early on, trying to be that strong leader, I would say a lot of like, platitudes like love your body and like you know just like things that aren't actually truly helpful and so I think that if you're someone who is struggling try to find someone who is being really open and vulnerable about their struggles and try to talk to them because they're somebody who's going to know how to listen and know not to just tell you you're being crazy right so I think that I was putting on a front for a little while as a coach of like oh I've got it all together I'm fine like everything's great just everybody should be you know self-love blah 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 like that's actually not really that helpful for people who are really (laughs) struggling (laughs) like being overly positive even though I am generally an overly positive person in general because that's just my predisposition right it definitely isn't really the thing that most people need. Right. And it's like telling someone who's anorexic, well, just eat or telling an alcoholic, just (laughs) stop drinking. Like there's a thing happening in your brain that it's not as simple as just like a one liner piece of advice. Because if it was that simple, people would have already done it. (laughs) Nobody would be struggling. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's very challenging. It can be definitely a really long road for people to travel. I love that you brought up the idea of seeking medical and professional help. I think that a lot of times people go to trainers and ask for advice for issues that are bigger than what a trainer is qualified to advise on. Mm -hmm. So I often encourage women to talk to a therapist and to find someone, especially finding someone who specializes in eating disorders and body dysmorphia and people who do specific work with women around that. Because I think that most trainers hopefully don't act or advise beyond their scope of practice, but Mm -hmm. it's such a significant I mean, like what you went through is really, really significant. And it's definitely beyond the scope of what a personal trainer should be managing with a client. And so I would say for any women listening to this who really struggle with how they feel about themselves, how they feel in their skin, with how uncomfortable they might feel in their own skin, like seeking medical help is definitely appropriate, even if you feel like you're being a little bit like overly cautious. Yeah. Because you know, I mean, it might be that there's like, it could be body dysmorphic disorder, it could be an eating disorder struggle. It could just be like a little bit of anxiety or a little bit of depression or something. But like, it's not up to a fitness professional to diagnose that it's not up to one of your friends to diagnose that it's not up to your spouse. It really is like going through with a medical professional and looking at what is exactly going on to identify what is a good course of action to take from here, rather than just struggling in this because people struggle in this for years and years and years, if not an entire lifetime. My mom just lost a friend who was in her 80s who had very clearly had an eating disorder her whole entire life and lost a daughter to an eating disorder and had a second daughter who had recovered from eating disorder. So like, it's not stuff that just goes away if you don't deal with it. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of why I struggle with the question of like, what should people do? And I'm like, I don't know. I can tell you (laughs) my experience, but I don't know because that's not my scope of practice. If I do go back to school, it probably will be for something like that. You know, if I decide to go get a master's degree, maybe it will be in this. But Right. right now, like, yeah, you definitely need to go see somebody who knows and who has dealt with more people than just, I have my own personal experience. And that's why I share a lot, Mm -hmm. but I don't offer a lot of 
advice because I do know that that's a little bit outside of my scope of practice. Mm-hmm. And also, I don't feel like I'm the person to do that necessarily. Yeah, so, that and even sense. for me, the way that I found out that I got diagnosed with it was I went to the doctor. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. It sounds ridiculous, but I was at the time 133 pounds or something like that. And I went to the doctor because I wanted to see a weight management specialist. Oh my gosh, that's, that's crazy. That's what I asked for. <laughs> and would you ever, if someone came into your gym weighing 133 pounds, you'd be like, well, we need to definitely put you into our next weight loss program. Yeah. <laughs> right? Never. So I, yeah. I'm like, can I go to weight management because I can't lose weight? And she was like, we have some things to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> so that I didn't even go to the doctor knowing that I had this kind of real serious thing going on. I just thought like, I just can't lose these last five pounds. And this is must be a medical issue. So I just what did you doctor. say? Did she like diagnose you on the spot and tell you like you have body dysmorphic disorder? Yeah, she well, I don't think she told me but she referred me to a therapist and then okay. wrote in my log or whatever okay. that I had it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's so interesting that that's how the journey started. <laughs> like yeah. these stubborn five pounds when I weigh 133 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Lauren, this has been so helpful. And I really appreciate you sharing and sharing openly. I know that so much of what you said is going to be really relatable to a lot of our listeners, just because I think that body image is something that all of us at one time or another become a little bit enslaved to. So I think that we all can relate to your story on one level or another. But I also want to really encourage anyone who's actively struggling to reach out for help. And do you have any, I don't remember if you sent them to me in your links you sent, do you have any resources for online resources for body dysmorphic disorder? There are some good ones. I can't think of them off the top of my head, but I will send you some. Okay. If you want to send those, so those will all be in the show notes. I totally just put Lauren on the spot. (laughs) Send me all the resources to heal people. (laughs) So You can go to the show notes though to get anything Lauren sends to me, I will put in the show notes. So if you go to shamelessmom.com episode 130, you can find it all there. And then Lauren, where can we find you? I mostly hang out on Instagram. That would be my favorite platform social media wise. (laughs) And then I also have my blogs. So Instagram, I'm Lauren Pack 22. And on the blog, it's Lauren underscore pack.com. Yeah. (laughs) So I have one more question. And then we're gonna do our lightning round. Are you good on time? Oh, yeah. Okay. So describe the legacy you're building. And how does being shameless play into your legacy? So I think I touched on this a little bit at the very beginning. But Right now, we're trying to build with Jason and with our team at at Achieve Fitness, we're trying to build a legacy of acceptance and inclusivity in the fitness realm. Right now, we feel like the main trend in the fitness industry is to just tell people that they aren't good enough and that they need to look a certain way or be a certain way, that they should put all of their resources into that. Mm -hmm. And it's so infuriating to us right now. It just, I feel like it limits certain marginalized groups from even trying to get fitter or healthier because they just feel like they don't belong. So our legacy that we're trying to leave is just to get the word out that fitness can be accessible to you, whether you're black, white, gay, straight, non-conforming, disabled, you know, and so on. Just being absolutely open to all of the possibilities that are out there for everyone. I love that. I love it. Okay. So our lightning round or shameless mommy minutes, what is your current favorite way to treat yourself? It's definitely going to the beach. It's a nice okay. inexpensive one, but are you guys right near the coast? Pretty much, yeah. Because okay. you post a lot of beach pictures. I get very jealous. <laughs> <laughs> because it's where I feel the happiest. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Current book that you're reading or the last one you read? Right now I'm reading Originals by Adam Grant, but I just started it. The last book I read fully was Grit by Angela Duckworth, which was awesome. Oh, is Grit a personal development book? or? A- yeah, I guess so. Okay. Yeah, I would say so. It's really good. Okay, I'm putting that in the show notes. I'm typing this really quickly here. Okay. And what is one morning ritual you can't live without? 
I loved this one because I was like, oh, so much better than <laughs> I know. <laughs> it, I'm so glad. <laughs> right now, I've been for the last couple of months, I've been waking up 20 minutes before my actual like usual wake up time and meditating and writing in my gratitude journal in the morning. Nice. That has been so amazing. I've loved it. I would still say it's in like habit building stage right now. So yeah. I wouldn't say that I actually can't live without it. I still have to make myself do it. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess the real answer would probably be coffee. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely it's getting there. The meditation thing is getting there. Nice, nice. Who is your biggest inspiration? Oh, this one was really hard, but I think I would say Jason, my husband. Oh. He just, like I said, I'm gushing these vibes. <laughs> He is truly just one of the nicest, kindest people in the world. And I think that my personal ultimate life goal is just to be a really good person. (laughs) And he inspires me to do that. Oh, that's awesome. And if you could give all moms one superpower, what would it be and why? It would be the power to let go of their insecurities and live life to the fullest. Oh, lovely. So great. (laughs) Lauren, thank you so much for spending time with us today. I really appreciate it. It's so nice to have you here in the Shameless Mom Academy. And I hope you will come back again soon. Someday you need to like write a book on this. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds great. I would love to. (laughs) It can be autobiographical. I'm always up for a good autobiography. (laughs) I love them. That's a good idea. (laughs) That's like the only books that I read besides personal development books are autobiographies. (laughs) Pretty much. So when you write yours, let me know. You can come back on the show. And we'll, we'll get do the first whole... copy because you gave me the idea. Yes, yes. You can thank me in the foreword. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you spending time with us today and sharing your story. And I hope we can talk again soon. Me too. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thanks, Lauren. Thank you for spending time with Lauren and I in the Shameless Mom Academy today. Like I said, any show notes or any links mentioned, any resources that Lauren has sent to me will all be over on the show notes at shamelessmom.com, episode 130. If this is your first time joining us in the Shameless Mom Academy, know that we do release new episodes every Monday and Wednesday. So you can go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review to immediately subscribe, which means you'll get new episodes as soon as they are released every Monday and Wednesday, very early in the morning. Additionally, this was a really important conversation that Lauren and I had. So I do hope that you'll share it out. You probably don't know the people in your life that need to hear this message, but I promise you there are people in your life that need to hear the messages that Lauren shared today. So please do share this episode. You can go to shamelessmom.com and click on episode 130 to get a link straight to this episode, or you can go to the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram and get the links for the episode from there as well, or share directly from those platforms. Thank you for spending time with us today. I hope the rest of your day is fantastic and positive and amazing and that you do something special just for you. And no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.